High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Garrett, Youth Pastor at High Praise Panama City. I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. No matter if you just missed a service or if you happen to stumble across our show, we believe and we pray that God is going to bless you through today's episode. So open up your hearts, receive what God has in store for you. Um, so we're starting a new series called Wilderness. Everyone say Wilderness. So um, a few weeks ago, we talked about Moses in our GOAT series. Uh, it's probably about a month ago. Um, we talked about what Moses had to overcome to get to the point where he could lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Y'all remember this message a little bit? If not, I think it's on Spotify. I think it's week two of GOAT. It might be week one. I'm not sure. Um, but you can go back and that might help you understand this message a little bit. Where we're going to pick up the next few weeks is what happens to the Israelites after they leave Egypt. Okay, so go with me to Exodus 13. Go to Exodus chapter 13. If you have your Bible, if you have the Bible app, whatever you use, Exodus 13. Um, basically what I want to do over the next few weeks is I want to look at the mistakes made by the people of God um, trying to get out of the wilderness. Um, anyone ever hear, hear this it's kind of like, a, uh, I guess that's one of those Christianese words. You hear people say, like, I've been in the wilderness. Anyone, y'all know what I'm referring to? Anyone, when I say wilderness, what do you think? The wild, the woods, the forest. Anybody, anybody else? When you see that, what do you think? Dirt. World history, eighth grade. Okay. Anybody else? The desert. Okay, wonderful. So, most of you know, and if you don't know, I'm going to give you a quick kind of recap. The Israelites get brought out of Egypt, okay? So, you all know Joseph. Joseph gets the people in Egypt. They stay in Egypt for some 400 and, I think it's like 430 years that they're actually in Egypt. And then finally, God calls Moses, um, and Moses leads the people out of Egypt. Now, anyone tell me, how long do the Israelites spend in Egypt? I mean, in the wilderness, Forty years. So the Israelites end up wandering the wilderness for 40 years. Okay? Right? You don't understand? Okay. Go with me to Exodus 13. So there comes a moment um, when Pharaoh basically decides, I'm going to let the people of Israel go. So this is Exodus 13, 17 through 22. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at at Etham, and the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, did not depart from before the people. Okay. So God has called the people. They have left Egypt Anybody know how many, how many um, estimated um, Israelites left Egypt? Anyone take a crack at it? 
I'll give you what's in my pocket if you can guess. No. 13,000. You got 30 seconds to get this right. 150,000. Looking for a very specific answer given in the book of Exodus that is mentioned. The exact the number of men is given, but not the number of women and children is given. And so there is an estimate. If you can give me the exact number of men, I'll give you what's in my pocket. Or if you can give me the estimate that I use, you can also have. Nope. Nope. Um, not hearing it. I guess I'll keep what's in my pocket. There was 600,000 men, and not including women and children, it's estimated that at least 2 million people, along with their cattle and everything else that they brought with them, left Egypt. What? What'd you say? Yeah, you're 400,000 off. That's a lot. Huh? Can anyone confirm that? No one is speaking up for you, Logan. You're in the house of God. All right, Logan, you can have my dollar. What'd you think it was? Oh, I'm thrill. Look at that. I know, I just have money to give away. It's not even worth it. I'm just filthy rich. Working ministry. Um, so roughly, roughly... Two million people leave Israel. Two million people do not travel quickly, right? Like, two million people don't travel quickly on foot. Two million people don't do anything um, fast at all. So two million people leave Egypt. And God says, uh, I love this, this little nugget of information. Um, it says, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and they'll return to Egypt. So they leave Egypt. And the quickest way to the Red Sea is through the Philistine area. And God says, I can't lead them through the Philistine area because if they see war and they see the Philistines, all they're going to do is return back to Egypt. So he says, he leads them. It says, he led them intentionally through the wilderness, lest they see war and return to Egypt. I'm reading out of the ESV. Then it explains that on their way to the ESV that God takes the form of a cloud during the day and that this pillar, this pillar of cloud, I guess, um, basically leads them at the front, and they follow this cloud. That's how they get to where they're going. And by night, it's a pillar of fire that they can see and also that they can travel by night because, again, two million people don't travel anywhere quickly, especially on foot. you imagine the traffic, the smell? We went on vacation last week. That's why we weren't here. The smells that come from my car with two children are insurmountable um i don't know my my four-year-old millie um passes gas like pumba and she's four and so i can't imagine two and becca knows exactly what i'm talking about it's gotten to that point like let me just tell you this this has nothing to do with anything it's just me confessing something to you when you become a dad you have this ultimate excuse of always blaming your children for your smells because they don't know. And he's like, I don't know what that is. It must be Jackson. Ah, terrible. It's gross. Kids are nasty. And I always thought, eventually, I'm not going to be able to do that anymore because they're going to know what's happening. 
And I learned this weekend that that's not true. In fact, I still can blame my kids for every smell that comes from me because they're nasty and disgusting. So if you ever need to blame a fart on a child, you can get away with it. So if you learned anything tonight, it's that right there. So you're welcome. We can be dismissed. Verse 17 says this. There you go. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, did not depart from before the people. So this is super important. This is super important for the next three weeks because I I need you guys to understand this one very crucial thing. It's how obvious God was taking care of these people. God was... Uh, Not only had he already performed the plagues in Egypt, not only had he basically done this miraculous work that got Pharaoh to give them permission to leave, and not only did the Israelites leave Egypt, when the Israelites left, they said, actually, when we're leaving, we want you to give us gold and silver for all the work we've done and send us with some cattle, some chariots, and some food. And Egypt did it. If you go back and read... um, like a few chapters before in Exodus, if you go read it, it literally says Israel plundered Egypt. So they didn't just like sneak out in the night. They did not just like disappear one day. They basically left and took everything from Egypt with them. They've got gold, silver, donkeys, chariots, all those wonderful, wonderful old time things that I'm sure I just don't even understand how valuable they are. And so they plundered Egypt and left. Two million people leave their workforce, basically. Leave Egypt. And while they're leaving, God himself takes the form of a cloud to lead them. And at night, a pillar of fire. God has made it beyond clear, beyond obvious, that not only is he real, but that he is leading these people. Everyone understand? Okay. Because I'm going to reference that like a lot over the next three weeks. So they get to the Red Sea. Everyone knows what happens at the Red Sea? Uh, Skip to chapter 14, verse 11. It says, this is based, so I had to skip forward just for sake of time. So what happens is um, they get to the Red Sea, and once they basically get to the Red Sea, they turn around and realize that Pharaoh has had a change of heart, and Pharaoh takes his entire army. I think it says 600, don't quote me, around 600 of his men and chariots and horses, and basically say, we're going to go hunt down the Israelites. we got to get them back. Um, this is ridiculous. We made the wrong choice, blah, blah, blah. So this is their response to Moses the moment they see the Egyptians in the distance coming for them. It says, they said to Moses... Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you, watch this, everyone repeat after me. And you have only to be silent. And you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, and stretch out the 
stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Okay, so most people have seen the movie the show, whatever, I can't remember what it's called, um, you know, the Moses one. And we imagine these people, it's like a group of like 100 people running across the sea, and it happens really quick. Two million people don't do anything quickly. It would have taken all day and all night for two million people to get from one side of the Red Sea to the other. And so what I want you to get a very clear picture of what God does here. The people are basically saying to Moses, like, we're dead, like, did, you, did God just bring us out here so that we, there weren't two million dead bodies in Egypt? Like, this is, this is ridiculous. This shouldn't be happening. We want to go back. And they're cursing Moses. And Moses goes to God, which happens frequently over the next few weeks, goes to God and is like, what do we do? He says, well, raise up your staff. The sea divide says there's a wall on the right and a wall on the left. And all night, the people cross the Red Sea. Well, the 600 horsemen and chariots would have caught the two million people, correct? So what does God do? God, the pillar of cloud, goes from in front of them to behind them and builds a divide between the people of Israel and Egypt, and at night, the fire. So the sea on your left, sea on your right, giant pillar of fire behind you, all of Egypt behind the fire. By the time you reach and you cross the next morning, all of Pharaoh's army is washed up on the shore dead before you. What's the first thing you think you do? Yeah. And I won't go too much into it because I don't want to ruin next week's, but Israel always responds. The people of Israel always respond with this one way. They don't know how to keep their mouth quiet. Every single time. They don't know how to keep their mouth quiet. I mean, we just read it. What did Moses say to him? Whenever the people are groaning and complaining and they're like, we're dead, how dare you? Why'd you bring us out here? Blah, blah, blah. Moses says, hey, God will take care of it if what? You only have to be quiet. Just hush. If you would hush your mouth, let God do what he's going to do. But what was the one thing that was going to get in the way of God doing something and God saving these people? Complaining. Well, the one thing that God said, I'll save you if you'll just do this, was what? Shut your mouth. So tonight's message is all about shutting your mouth, kind of, in a weird way. I want you guys to, to grasp a hold of the severity that God is putting on not only their words, but their attitude. You ever, you ever been excited for something, but had to do it with somebody that was not excited for it and is kind of ruining the whole experience? You ever had to do that? Yeah, that's the worst. So imagine Moses, excited that God himself is leading people out, two million people out of Egypt, He's performed a dozen miracles already. The giant cloud is before you. His presence is before you. The, 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 the fire at night. Like God is evidently here. And then the first sign of trouble. <sighs> Stupid Moses. This was all fake. How dare, why would you bring us out here? Why would you do this? Why would you do that? 
And we laugh and we're like, man, that's ridiculous. How could they, before the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire, complain that and question God? How could they be brought out of Egypt and seen the plagues and see these, these miraculous things happen and still question God? They basically asked Moses, have you just brought us this far so that we can die out here in the wilderness? For some of you, who, well, for some of you I, think, I think this might be where, where we're at spiritually. You've left Egypt, but you've not yet crossed the Red Sea. And there's a huge, huge difference. I want to make this comparison before you guys for the next few weeks. So we have Egypt, we have the wilderness, and then we have the promised land, right? We have Egypt. They get called out of Egypt to go into the wilderness. They have to pass through the wilderness to get to the promise. Many of you, all of us, not many, every single one of you, living dead to sin, get called into salvation to live within the promise of God, ultimately that being in heaven and have eternal life. You get the comparison I'm trying to make here? Egypt, wilderness, promised land, sin, life, heaven. Very similar. And so what I, I want to call to your attention tonight is, is this one thing. Well, a couple things, but this one primarily. Some of you are in this wilderness and you're not supposed to be, because you won't be quiet. And some of you are in this wilderness and there's more in front of you, but you haven't completely left Egypt yet. See, what is so important about the Red Sea is once the Israelites left the Red Sea, there was no returning to Egypt, right? Because only because God did something miraculous to get them across the Red Sea. So as soon as they made that move from, from one side of the shore to the other, it was over. There was no going back to Egypt. No one's crossing the Red Sea again. You get what I'm saying? And for a lot of you, we get saved. We give our life to God. We start coming to church. And we're in this in-between time of like, yeah, I'm not in that life anymore, but I, well, I don't, I, you actually haven't crossed. You haven't gone all in yet. You haven't, crossed, there, you haven't reached that point of no return. You get what I'm saying? And until you get to that point, you're going to have a foot in and a foot out forever. God didn't make the people of Israel. God actually, you, you read it in detail, God was very quick to get the people across from the Red Sea. And he actually, he, he mentions it. He knew that part of them would want to return to Egypt. That's why he says, I can't bring them the quickest route to the Red Sea. I've got to send them back around through the wilderness to get to the Red Sea because I know if I do this, all they're going to do is go back to Egypt. So I've got to take them through the harder way around. And then when we get there, I'm, I'm going to have to do some crazy miracles to get them across. And the whole time they complained, the whole time they doubted, the whole time they blamed Moses. And it continues for the next year until God finally says, you know, you're going to wander the, the wilderness for 40 years because you guys can't listen. And we'll get into more of that next week. But spiritually, this is what happens for some of you. You leave Egypt, you, you come into salvation, you come into the church, you come into a relationship with Christ. And we just want to wander in this kind of like dead zone. Of like, I could still, it's real, it would be real easy for me to go back. I haven't yet gone full cuckoo Christian yet. 
I haven't left behind all my friends, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, the, the habits, the blah, 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 blah. And we're kind of like in this, I could or I couldn't. You get what I'm saying? And until you guys are ready to, until you finally come up to the shores of the Red Sea and make that decision and cross over, you're always going to have a foot in Egypt. In fact, had the people not gone up to the Red Sea and just continued to wander around the wilderness, it had been real easy to be like, well, God's not doing anything. God's not speaking. God's, you know, we're being pursued by Egypt again. Let's just go back. Had they not gone to the shores of the Red Sea and saw Egypt, what do they do? Egypt kills them. Pharaoh and his guys get them. And for those of you that are wandering around this little, like, almost like pre-wilderness time, this is, this is what happens, and I think this is... I think this happens a lot in your generation. The first sign of trouble, the Israelites say to, say to Moses, should never have done this. This is ridiculous. This was not worth it. You just brought us out here to die. We get saved. We start asking questions, start attending church. The first sign of trouble, the first bad thing happens. Well, where's God? And it becomes so easy for us to blame the Lord because we are, we're in a place we're not supposed to be. You have got to get out of the place you are not meant to be. The wilderness was meant to be a time of preparation. It was meant to be a place of miracles. It was meant to be a transitionary season from one place to the next. And so many Christians, we get stuck in what is meant to be a temporary season, not because you need a spiritual revelation or a holy encounter, but you need behavior modification. And we have moved so far away from this as a church because we like to talk about, like, well, if we could just, if they'll just come to the altar, if we'll just get them on the trip, if the, the Holy Spirit can just wreck their life and they can weep down here at the front, if we can get someone to pray for them and God shows up and does something miraculous, they will never turn back. And it takes the second book of the Bible to disprove this belief. My fear for your generation is literally that we have become so... Um, we have become so dependent upon emotional responses to God that that has become God. Like, and this, this proves exactly what I'm trying to talk about. We have a group of people that are, on, are completely dependent upon miracles and God showing up in literal ways no one in this room has ever seen before. And even then, they still complained and messed everything up. You get what I'm saying? Understand this, spiritual maturity, longevity in your faith isn't going to happen because you, because you figure out how to just have these overwhelmingly emotional responses with the Lord every day. It's definitely not going to happen because you see a miracle every day. It's definitely not going to happen because a, a cloud leads you to school and a, and a fire leads you to bed every night. That will never be your reality. Many of you are stuck where you're at not because, because you need some miraculous spiritual encounter with God. It's simply because your behavior is awful. I know this is, hear me, this is not a fun message to preach. This is not a, an exciting one. This is, um, I, I get it. But this is one every single person in this room needs to understand. What keeps the Israelites in the, in the wilderness is for, for 40 years isn't because they didn't pursue God, see God, pray to God, or hear from God. These people heard from God, saw God, and were closer to God than probably anyone in this room. But what messed it up? Their behavior. What messed it up? Their attitude. What messed it up? Their mouth. 
we've, I was just talking about this with Pastor Joshua earlier today. We were talking about how um, it's so hard now because it's, it's, it's easy to scare people off talking about changing behavior. We don't, we, it's easy to be like, well, you know, faith in God isn't about, it's, it's about a relationship. It's not about religion. And so then when you start talking about like changing the way you live, it's like, whoa, dude, I just love Jesus. It's like, whoa, bro, if you love Jesus, then you actually should desire this for your life more than me. And so if you're a Christian and you're in this room and you're like, well, I love God and I just want to love Jesus, man, and I just want to love God and I just want to soak in his presence all the time and I just want to, you know, listen to, to, to Alba, you know, you, it's almost like we've become hippie Christians. We're like, I just, all I'm really interested is like, you know, hanging out with God. And that's wonderful. I want you to hang out with God. I want you to know God. But if you can't start acting like God or even have a desire to act like God, may I present to you that you might not know God at all. And the reason why you've become frustrated or you're in a wilderness or in a dry season, as some Christians like to call it as a Christian, is not because you aren't, doing, you aren't pursuing these encounters or these worship nights or these altar calls. It's simply because your behavior is that of a spoiled child. This is the reason the Israelites failed. This is why none of them saw the promised land. No one, can't get into that yet. None of them end up seeing the promised land except for two of them. And none of them see the promised land, not because they weren't close with God, had experiences with God, or had the butterfly experiences when they saw, I mean, they literally were in the presence of God more than, than anyone in this room has ever experienced. The God's presence in your life is not going to keep you out of trouble. Can I put it to you that way? God's presence is not going to keep you out of trouble. Should you pursue his presence? Absolutely. Should you desire his presence? Absolutely. But that is not the answer to your problems. And so I just need you to understand you pursuing the presence of God and being in the presence of God does not just wipe, cleanse you and be like, oh, I'm better now. That'd be like you saying, if I can just hang out with, with, with Garrett all the time and I just be with him and hear from him and like hang out at his house, then I'll be fine and I'll stay out of trouble. Can I just tell you from personal experience that that ain't true? I'm mean, just being serious. That ain't true at all. But it becomes this like we, we almost overcomplicate God sometimes because we, we, we create this, this idea in our heads that he's responsible for us more than we are. Well, I go to church. I hang out with him. I'm in his presence. I sing gyro all the time. And I love Bethel and Maverick, and I'm at the altar every time the altar's open, and I receive prayer every time. And guys, hear me. I am not saying those things are bad. But what I need you to understand and what will be more frequent in your life and what God will speak, what I genuinely think what God will speak to you more often than being slain in the spirit or having some emotional response to God is him looking at you and saying, quit acting like a butt. Quit and grow up. And that's typically when younger Christians like y'all, like me, I'm getting old, but like y'all more than me, like y'all end up saying, you know, I really want to do this anymore this is kind of this is kind of lame this is kind of getting on my nerves because you realize you're you're not the god in the situation the israelites 
I'm going to read this part to you one more time. <coughs> i got to scroll down. It says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have, have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. Divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. If you could continue to read the story, one little cool piece of information is that God literally slows down the wheels of the Egyptians, and they get stuck in the, in the road or whatever you want to call it. God will fight for you. And God is God no matter if you call him God or if you respect him as God or if you worship him as God or if you love him as God. God is God. You will not change who he is. Your acceptance of Christ, your acceptance of salvation is about you getting an agreement and saying, now I'm going to try to become more like you. Now I've got to get the Egypt out of me and become more like you. I think Pastor Robert said this Sunday night at SOL um, at School of Leaders and was talking about how um, the, the biggest issue was that God could get the Israelites out of Egypt, but he couldn't get the Egypt out of the Israelites. And the same is true for your generation. I think he can get you into hell. He can get you out of, of this. He can get you out of hell. He just can't get the hell out of you. And we live, and we live in this place of like we, we, we just we can't go all in yet. And we wander around this little like, like I, what if I want to go back? What if, what if I don't want to be here anymore? Or we just lie to ourselves like, well, the, there's a sea over there and there's the Egyptians behind me. Imagine you're in the back of the line of the two million people. Because you're in, imagine you're in the middle of the line of the two million people. You don't know what the heck's going on. Imagine you're in the back. And you're closest to the Egyptians, farthest from the sea. And there is no megaphone that Moses is speaking through. And you're just sitting there waiting for your turn, hoping that you get the cross before you get slain by an Egyptian. And what's your instruction? Be quiet. Imagine you're in the back, and the Egyptians are coming closer and closer. And they're coming closer and closer and closer. You have no idea that the first 10,000 people are walking on dry land with a sea on each side of them. And all your instruction is, I've got to be quiet so God will get us out of this. I've got to be quiet. You talk about testing some faith and some resolve. I'm sure some kids' mouths got popped in that moment. Gonna get killed. My... My heart, guys, for you is this. It said it like on the little tagline. You will not find freedom until you abandon what you came from. You will not genuinely find freedom from sin and freedom from addiction and freedom from your past until you abandon it. Not just leave it, but genuinely abandon it. Some of you are like, well, man, I became a Christian. I decided not to cuss no more, and I decided not to smoke no more, and I decided not to do this no more, but I still hang out with everyone who does it. It's like, 
Was y'all in that last? Well, me and my girlfriend got saved, and we're not going to do nothing no more. But I still go to her house, and we park in the random parking lot where no one can find us because that's our only time to be alone. It's like, okay, you're not smart, but okay. But it's literally this like, hey, everyone okay? Everyone alive? All right. Uh, thunder from God. But do you, do you understand what I'm saying? We want to, like, we take this step out of what we know we shouldn't be doing. But, man, what's so much harder is actually crossing the Red Sea, especially those of you that, that haven't made it to the sea yet. Because it, it says it. It says that in chapter 13, it says that the Lord brought them through the wilderness around the Philistines, yet the Israelites were still prepared for battle. I just, I want to see so many of you take this step of faith in your life. I'm so tired and I'm so frustrated of young people who talk the talk, but they can't walk the walk. Man, y'all look great in church and y'all look, and I'm sure you're great people, but get out of Egypt. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Cross the Red Sea. Because many of you, have, I think, have gotten out of Egypt, but it's like your, your mind is still there. When God calls this out to Moses, he says, I'm going to bring you around the Philistines, lest I know they see the Philistines, they're going to want to return. God knew what was in the heart of the people. God knew at the first sign, if I give them any excuse, they'll return. You know what was the most important thing for the Israelites during this time from Egypt to the Red Sea? Was what they saw. God intentionally was trying to protect what they could see. He was intentionally trying to keep them from seeing certain things, hearing certain things. Try to keep them from seeing the Egyptians, the Philistine, what was actually around them. Because if they actually saw what the enemy was doing around them, they'd return to Egypt. And for those of you that step into salvation, if you actually saw what the enemy was trying to do in your life, you'd run right, you'd be scared, you'd run right back to what you were doing. You'd be terrified. And I'm not trying to be like mystical or scary, but like, blah. But man, you step out of hell and you, get, and you go from death to life, and you accept Christ, and you accept Jesus, if you actually saw what was happening in the spiritual realm around you, you'd be like, nope, this is way more comfortable. And you would, you would, you would, you'd be out. As we go for the next few weeks, um, next week's message, message after that, and the message after that, don't matter if, if we don't get this right here. If we don't get this right, if you, I'm sorry, if you don't get this right, the next few weeks won't matter, like at all. Um, to put it this way, anyone here not from Florida originally? Anyone here sane? Okay, cool. So um, I'm from Arkansas, which anyone know where Arkansas is? Where do you all think Arkansas is? Oh, that's very vague. Did you say above Kansas? Nope. Oh my gosh. Don't y'all take geography? It's above Louisiana. 
Anyway, look at a map every now and then. Anyway, where I'm from, we ain't got no beaches and sand and surfing. I'm from Arkansas. It goes with the story. So where I'm from, we have lakes. And actually, what's beautiful about my kind of lakes is they don't have alligators and dinosaurs and awful things in them that just make no sense. In fact, this has... I took Becca after we got married, and uh, we... Uh, anyway, there's this lake near my house. It's called Ten Killer. It's huge. And it's where you go to go tubing um, and, and, like, just... It's kind of like just where you go to hang out. And so after we got married, were we married yet? Yeah, we were married. And uh, we went to go see my family. And we're like, we're going to go. I've, I, just, I need Becca to experience what tubing is actually like with my dad. Because my dad's the kind of guy who's like, I'm going to, he's trying to hurt you when we go tubing. You're not just there to have fun. You're there to get thrown off. And so we get out there. And Becca's like looking around the water. And she's like, are you not afraid of alligators? And everyone on the, on the boat is like, what? And she's genuinely like looking around like concerned. And I just want you to understand, not everywhere else in the world has dinosaurs. So anyway, completely erroneous. But at Lake Tenkiller, I grew up doing something called, called cliff jumping. Um, you know who ever gone cliff jumping? Oh, okay. Okay, my kind of people. And so at Tenkiller, we'd go cliff jumping literally all the time during the summer on spring break. And Tenkiller had these different cliffs. And there was like 5 feet, 10 feet, like 20 feet, and blah, 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 blah. My senior year, we go cliff jumping. At Tenkiller, I've been doing it for years. And we had this friend whose name is Trey. And Trey would always go with us, but Trey would never actually jump. And so we'd spend all day, we'd get, you know, and we'd, get someone's pontoon boat, we'd get, you know, we'd find a way to get out there because you had to take a boat to get to the cliffs. And we'd start, you know, start small, and we'd spend hours, literally hours, jumping off a top of rock into water, and it was fun. And every time Trey would go, but Trey always stayed on the shore. But then we'd go back to school, we'd post pictures, kind of, because, like, Facebook came out when I was, like, a junior in high high school and it wasn't really cool back then and so we talk about it with friends and blah 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 and one day Trey was talking about how much he loved to go cliff jumping and I'll never forget we're at the lunch table and uh, my friend Kyle goes you know Trey you're kind of a liar and Trey's like what I'm just putting this in much nicer words he's like no no I'm not and he's like Trey you've never jumped from a cliff in your life he's like yeah but I go he's like yeah but you don't actually go you watch us do it. You get what I'm doing right now? Many of you go to church, but you don't actually go to church. Many of you are in worship sets, but you don't actually worship. Trey always liked to say that he went cliff jumping, and he would talk about how he always went cliff jumping and how he was just one of the guys that went, and he never actually did it for himself. He attended, but he did not participate. He went, but he didn't actually jump. And in the same exact way, this is what so many of us do with God. Man, I love going to church. I go to church all the time. I like doing this and that, and I love champion and durka, durka, durka. And you can go, you can tell your friends. It might be in your Instagram bio that you go to church, that you're a part of, you know, YTH, a high praise, and blah, 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 blah. But my question to you is, do you go 
Like, do you actually go? Have, have you made the jump yet? This is what we would do all the time when we went cliff jumping. This is like, I get that this is much smaller. But the funnest thing to do when you go cliff jumping is kind of like hang over the edge and like let someone push you or like dangle or like, you know, something like that. It's just way more, it's way more intense. And I've often put it like this. I genuinely believe with everything inside of me that Jesus has the same posture. Like, I believe this is how he is in heaven. I've put it like this before. He's got, he's hanging 10, all 10 toes over heaven. And I think this is Jesus' posture. I think he does this. I think this is him all day, all night. I think this is how he stands in heaven. Jesus once told his disciples, they said, when are you coming back? They'd ask him all the time, when are you coming back? 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 He'd be like, I don't know. Only my father knows. So this is why I say, I think this is how Jesus stands in heaven. I think he stands up there and it's going to take, he's waiting on one word from the father. And the moment he says go, that man's cliff jumping from heaven to earth. Cliff jumping. All 10 toes hanging, just waiting for that moment. You tell me to go, I'm gone. YTH, a lot of you just need to make that jump. A lot of you just need to go, man, from one place to the next. Travis, you guys can come up. I'm wrapping up. Because y'all go to church, and I think you, you know God and you love God, but you talk about God like you, you talk about church, you talk about the Lord like you would a textbook in a class that you take. If you've not made that transition from one thing to the next, I said this earlier, I'm going to say it again. It's not because you need God to come down, jump, and like just shake you or fill you with the Holy Ghost and, and just levitate and flap his wings in your face. Like, I'm right here. But this is our posture to God so often. It's like, man, if you would just prove yourself to me, God, if you would just do a miracle, if I would just feel you at the altar and we put like these little like, this is what you have to do to earn my love. This is what you have to do to earn my respect. This is what you have to do for me to fully go all in. Because a lot of people will we'll put that first step out there after a good message or a good, uh, you know, a good convicting, you know, man, I don't want to go to hell moment. What, what the difference is between those of you that will be Christians when you're 30 and the Christians, those of you that are Christians right now won't be those of you that unlock the holy of holies and experience God every day in a way that just melts your face off. It will be those of you that modify your behavior and your character daily and daily get up and make a choice and say, I'm gonna follow Christ today no matter what. My life belongs to Jesus today no matter what. The men and women I respect in my life the most are not those that know how, are not the most charismatic. They're not those that just know how to usher in the presence of God like he's some fog machine. It is, it's honestly, it's my grandpa. Dude follows Jesus through no matter what follows Christ. 
literally was just telling Austin before service today and said one of the most powerful moments in scripture, like genuinely what I think about often, one of the most powerful moments in all of the Bible is when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, denounce God or you go in the furnace. And one of them, I can't remember which one, looks at King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, is like, no. All praise be to my God who has the power to deliver us from your hand. And this is what he says. He says, but even if he does not, I know where I'm going. He says, but even if he doesn't, all praise be to God. That's the kind of people I want us to be. I praise that's who you are called to be is a person who is not like, you know what? If God shows up right now and saves me, then whoa, that would be awesome. But if not, I guess you're right. Imagine if those three men would have looked at that king that day and said, you know what? I believe my God will save me. But if he doesn't, I guess you're right. Imagine if they would have put God's character, God's proof on God doing what those men said. And instead they looked at this man and said, he has the ability to do this. But I trust in his character so much. I trust in his plan so much. I trust in who he is so much that even if he does not deliver us from your hand, he is still good. Where, where have those Christians gone? Where are those Christians who from if this moment on just could live their life and say, you know what, even if nothing miraculous ever happens to me even if he doesn't I still know that he's good I still know I mean I know he's brought me out of Egypt I know he's brought me out of hell I know he has brought me out of sin I know he has delivered me from the hands of the enemy I know he has shut the mouth of the lion I know that no weapon formed against me shall prosper no matter what happens I know that my God is good YTH, understand this for a second. I'm about to go on a little tangent. I want you to catch every single word. Your issue with God is not that you're getting enough of his presence. Your issue with God is that you don't know his character well enough. And you don't know his character well enough because you don't get around him enough. And when you do get around him, you spend, you put these rules on him that say, I've got to feel this way. It's got to sound like this and look like this. And if those things aren't met, then it's not you. And who are you to say when God shows up or when God is speaking? God talked to Moses through a burning bush. God's, most of the time that God does speak or do miracles, it's through some of the most ridiculous, what we would probably call rude things. When Jesus healed a blind guy, he picked up mud, spit in it, rubbed it in his eye. God's not going to do things your way. God's not, most likely will not speak to you on your terms. Your lack of knowledge of his character, your lack of beha your behavior modifying to his character is what is keeping you where you're at. That's why you're stuck. That's why you're frustrated. That's why you still do the same dumb stuff you've done for three years. Not because God has, you, no one's convinced you it's wrong. It's simply that you don't trust him and know him well enough to say, I'll be like him. I'll quit doing that. I'll cross this Red Sea. The Israelites believed they had been brought to a place to die. And everything around them told them, this is the end for you. Red Sea to the front, Egyptians to the back, nowhere to go. God made a way, just be quiet. And 
one person, Moses, knew God's character well enough, trusted God enough, and said, God's about to do something. Just hush. Cross the sea. Get to the other side. But if the Egyptians never crossed the Red Sea, they would have always ended up back in Egypt. Until you go all in, until you actually go cliff jumping, you're always going to end up just back in the boat. You're always going to end back up in Egypt. Every single time. Some of you have probably left Egypt 20 times in your life. You've probably been saved 20 times. You've probably been prayed for the same thing over and over and over again. It's not that God's not saving you. It's just simply that you're going right back to to what he is trying to call you out of. The difference, though, is that it's time for you to cross the sea. It's time for you to go to a place where there is no return. It's time for you to go so far away from your old life and do things that would wreck your old life so much that there's nothing to return to. Once Pharaoh and his men were killed in Israel, Israel had lost, I'm sorry, Egypt had lost all of its money, all of its cattle, and all of its leadership, and all of its army. There was nothing to return to in Egypt anymore. Israel had gone so far that even if they had returned, the country itself was falling apart. Are you leaving your past in order so neatly? Are you leaving those relationships just close enough that there's something to go back to and if this goes wrong if the seas don't part you get what I'm saying if the seas don't part you know you've still got friendships you know you've still got habits you know what's still in the top drawer of your dresser you know what's still available to you on your phone that man if this doesn't work if this doesn't work I know I know instantly we can go right back something in their life. Look at the changes they're making. They're, they're, they're coming to church again. And I'm, I get excited for these things. It's like, look, they, 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 there's hope for this person. They're out of Egypt. And then like a month later, it's like, oh no, there they go again. It's just because they won't cross the, the stinking sea. Uh, can I get 
a few leaders up front. It doesn't have to be all of you, but just um, for those of you that are available. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for every single one of you. Uh, if you need somebody, you want to talk to somebody, you need prayer. It's what these people are here for. They're here to help you modify some behavior. They're here to give you some wisdom, to give you some prayer, to give you a little bit of encouragement you know what it's like to, to, to leave it all behind, to actually cross the sea and leave Egypt behind fully. So Father, we come to you tonight. Lord, I lift up every single person that's in this room. Father, my prayer and my hope is that tonight would be marked not just by having an emotional response, but changing, God, the way we live. And I understand that some of that can't actually happen right here in this moment, but I think it can begin right here in this moment. And Father, I, I, man, I feel, some of you have handicapped what God can do, and then you are blaming God for not doing anything simply because of the way that you live your life. You don't, you can't live actively in sin and then blame God for not doing something in your life. So Father, those of us that have left Egypt might be in this in-between place of we haven't gone all in yet. We actually haven't jumped off the cliff yet. Part of our heart, part of our mind still longs for Egypt even if we don't want to talk about it or we won't admit it. Some of us have been scared back into Egypt more times than we can count. We have made these first few steps so time and time and time and time again. Father, I pray that tonight and next week and the week after and for every moment after this night, God, that we would be people who have changed the way we live. God, that you would bring us through the Red Sea, that you would split the waters. And even if we can't see it, even if we don't understand it, Jesus, Lord, we trust that you are good and you're going to do it because our faith and our trust is in your character and who you say you are. Would everyone in the room just raise a hand or raise both hands if you want to, just as a sign of surrender. Lord, we surrender over to you, Jesus. Tonight, may it be marked by abandonment. May we come recklessly abandon Egypt, our old life, our past, our, our mistakes, our old friends, our old relationships. Recklessly abandon these things, my teenage. Your hands are so full of your old life that God is, has no room to give you something new.
We will see you Friday at 7 and Sunday at 9 or 1045. Thank you for downloading today's message. Again, we hope that it encouraged you, blessed you, and edified you. If you are a high school, middle school, or even a a young adult in the Panama City area, we would love to have you come be a part of our services at High Praise Panama City. Our YTH services are every Wednesday at 7 o'clock. The mix, our pre-service time, starts at 5 o'clock. We would love to have you out. If not, find a way to connect with us on Instagram at hp.yth. We would love to connect with you in some way, and God bless.